Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. The imposition of sanctions on Russia in response to its invasion of Ukraine has put economic ties between the West, primarily the European Union, and Russia in the spotlight. As countries look to assess the potential impact these measures will have on their economies. As a member of the EU, Greece has also joined its partners in imposing sanctions on Russia. While Greece has very limited direct exposure to Russia, there are still sectors that could face challenges, and the economy will feel the effects of skyrocketing energy prices. Yorgia Naku joins the Greek Current to look at the size of Russia's footprint on the Greek economy, pinpoint the areas that are at greatest risk from these sanctions, and look at what steps Greece and the European Union can take to mitigate any risks. Yorgia Naku is a political and financial analyst for Macropolis, an independent analysis service providing daily insight and analysis of the key political, economic, and social developments in Greece. Yorgia, welcome back on The Greek Current. Good to be here again. Thanks for the invite. Yorgia, Greece has joined with the rest of the West, the EU and the US, in imposing harsh economic sanctions on Russia following Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Which sanctions will affect Greece the most here? Well, perhaps it's useful to just run down what sanctions are imposed by the EU because that's what determines what Greece is doing. So the EU has so far excluded a list of Russian banks from the SWIFT system, which is the messaging system for interbank transactions, which makes it a lot harder to deal through banks if you're a business or an individual. It sanctions a number of individuals that are connected directly to the invasion to Putin and his party. And it's imposed a ban on Russian airplanes crossing through EU airspace and landing at EU airports. So all of those three nominally apply to Greece. In addition, Greece has suspended any applications for golden visas from Russian nationals. But I think it's worth saying at the outset that the sanctions themselves are not likely to have a major impact directly on the Greek economy. And the biggest factor by far is going to be energy prices, the impact of the conflict on energy prices and the impact of any sanctions, whether they emanate from Greece or not, on energy prices. You mentioned that this probably won't have that big of an impact on Greece's economy. Can you give us an overview of the economic relationship between Greece and Russia? Just how big is Russia's footprint on the Greek economy? Sure. So it's, as I hinted Just before, it's not that great. It's not as big as some people would sort of think off the top of their heads. And it's smaller than I thought before I looked into it, actually. So in terms of foreign direct investment, it's negligible either way. So over the last 10 years, there's been about 150 million euros invested in Greece by Russian entities and 200 million euros invested by Greek entities in Russia over the last nine years. So we're talking very small amounts. There's hardly any Russian-linked money in Greek banks. I saw in the press reported that it was something like 18 million. So again, a very, very small amount. And in both of those respects, Greece is very different from Cyprus. Cyprus has large exposures in both of those categories. In terms of the trade balance between Greece and Russia, last year, Greece had 4 billion euros worth of imports from Russia. So it is quite a big source of imports into Greece. It's in the top five. Most of those imports relate to fuels, so either natural gas or oil. 
and Greece exports to Russia about 200 million euros worth of goods. And it's worth saying at the outset that both legs of this have tremendously reduced in the years since the Crimea annexation in 2014. So it's not only sort of relatively small, but it's also sort of on a reducing trend already. And that's as a result of the sanctions that were imposed in 2014 following the illegal annexation of Crimea, correct? That's right, yes. The sort of sanctions by the EU on Russia and vice versa. And actually, it's mainly sort of Russia's response to the sanctions that have hit Greece. The other category where we'd expect to see impact is tourism. And again, here, there's been a reduction in Russian visitors to Greece. I'm not going to talk about 2020 because of the pandemic and because of higher restrictions on travel on Russian visitors. The numbers that arrived were sort of negligible. The last good year for tourism was 2019. That was a record year for Greece overall. But the income from Russian visitors was only 2% of the total tourism income. It was only about half a billion euros. And the last area worth looking at is the golden visa system, which was introduced in 2014. And Russians are the third largest group of nationals that have got these sort of their residence permits based on investment in property. So around 600 Russian nationals have got these. They're about 6% of the total number issued. Chinese investors are by far the largest group here. So Russians, even though they're sort of number three, are a much, much smaller portion of the whole. So those are the main areas where you can see the Russian footprint. And, you know, as you can see, that in most of those areas, there isn't a vast exposure. Yurya, aside from looking at the macro-level effects of sanctions on Russia, you write that it is worth considering a handful of strategic investments by Russian nationals in Greece. What can you tell us about these investments in particular? And I'm thinking people like Ivan Savidis, for example, who's made heavy investments in the Saloniki. Yeah, I mean, Savidis is probably the best-known name. So for the listeners who are not aware, Savidis is a sort of Russian-Greek citizen. He's invested in a number of areas that would be considered strategic in Greece, the biggest of which is the port of Thessaloniki, where he owns through one of his companies 71.8% share in the port. And through the port of Thessaloniki, he's also bidding on the port of Alexandropolis, which is another port of strategic importance in the north of Greece. He's not a shy individual. He also owns several landmark hotels and resorts in the north of Greece. He owns Park FC, which is a top-tier football team, and he owns a national TV channel. However, because he's a Greek national as well as a Russian national, it's unlikely that he'll be hit with any of the sanctions directly. And in fact, there was speculation that he'd already flouted the sanctions imposed because of the annexation of Crimea and got away with it. So, you know, even though some regard him as a sort of a Trojan horse of Putin in Greece, it's hard to see anything significant being brought against him. There are other sort of lower profile investments involving Russian entities in Greece. So one of them is a joint venture between Gazprom, the national gas company, and a Greek group called Kopelousos that's active in the energy sector. And this is a gas supply company called Prometheus. And there's also a number of investments in tourism by Russian companies and Russian individuals. None of them, as far as I know, are named on the sanctions list. So it's just a question of whether they can fund them without access to the banking system.
The greatest risk, Yuriya, as you pointed out earlier, from the impact of the war in Ukraine is on oil and natural gas prices and how that's going to affect global markets. And Greece is obviously exposed to this. Are energy prices already putting a damper on economic growth forecasts? Yes, they are. They already were before the hostilities in Ukraine started. I think the last time we spoke was back in September, and we were worried because gas prices were over 50 euros a megawatt hour on the European markets. So yesterday they were over 200 euros a megawatt hour. So the situation in Ukraine has obviously made what was already quite a serious energy crisis a lot worse. This is going to impact Greece regardless of whether it imports energy from Russia or from anywhere else in the world, because obviously restricting supply from Russia, whether it's done by Russia or whether it's done by the buyers, you know, an embargo by the US or Europe is always going to drive prices up on the global markets. So this is going to happen no matter what, and it's going to be a massive impact. So the government at the moment has this rough estimate that for every 10 euro increase in wholesale gas prices, we're going to see 600 million euros knocked off the Greek economy. Since the conflict started in Ukraine, since the invasion, we've had days where the natural gas price on the wholesale markets has jumped 30 euros in one day. So you can begin to see, you know, the, the kind of the magnitude of the impact this could have on the economy. So the government's kind of racing to keep up with these developments. These were not foreseen when the budget, the state budget, was put together at the end of last year. They're about to put out a revised budget. And so that's going to be a lot more conservative in terms of what growth we expect. There's going to be at least 1% less GDP growth in the base case scenario. And that would take it down to 3.5% growth. And then there's an adverse scenario where it goes down to 2%. But I think it's fair to say there's going to be more conservative estimates even than that out there. So if you look at the impact on tourism, you know, okay, we said that Russian visitors aren't the be all and end all of the Greek tourist season, far from it. But if you take into account the more general nervousness that the Ukraine situation is causing with people sort of booking their holidays this time of year, I think you can see a much bigger chilling effect in terms of booking cancellations and bookings coming to a halt. And the tourism sector is already starting to think about this tourism season in pandemic terms. And again, you know, there are rule of thumb estimates for what the impact could be. Because of the size of tourism as a part of the economy, if tourism drops by 10%, GDP drops by 1%. So Again, you can see that the effect is indirect, but it could be quite significant there. What steps is the government taking to further minimize this exposure to both Russia and to fluctuations in the energy market? Is this a space where the EU really needs to take bold steps to help member states deal with skyrocketing energy prices uh, instead of national governments, for example? Yes, I mean, I think it's becoming obvious that it has to be an EU-wide response. And the EU is coming up with some fairly sort of radical sounding plans, at least in terms of their, their conception. So they are putting together a roadmap to reducing exposure to Russian natural gas by two thirds by the end of this year. So it's not quite as radical as the US embargo on Russian fuel. But then 
imports of Russian energy products a much larger part of the EU energy mix. So it is quite radical. And that involves, it's not an embargo, but it's measures to actually switch suppliers, for instance, build more LNG capacity to diversify the sources of gas. It's allowing countries to kind of be less ambitious with their carbon targets, to be able to use coal and nuclear for electricity generation. It's energy efficiency. It's accelerating renewables projects. It's a whole sort of mix of things. And beyond that, there's a lot of focus on how to control energy prices or at least cushion the impact of price hikes on consumers. So yesterday, the European Commission announced that there was a proposal for a euro bond to raise funds at a European level for energy and defence spending. And that is certainly sort of very strongly backed by the French government that has the presidency this semester, and they're very keen to see it through by the summer when their term ends. Also, yesterday, they introduced uh, what they call a toolkit, a policy toolkit, for member states to apply national policies to support uh, consumers against energy price rises. And that ranges from capping electricity prices to allowing governments to subsidize businesses against energy rises. So it's sort of an a la carte system for governments to use as they see fit within the national setup. So, for instance, Greece isn't very keen on capping prices, but the government has been looking to support energy using businesses uh, so that they don't have to suffer high energy prices and not be able to pass them on through raising the prices on their products. Aside from that, Prime Minister Mitsotakis published an editorial and a letter to the President of the European Commission today where he lays out a six-point plan to control gas prices. It's quite a sort of a technical proposal that involves various measures to control the price of gas on the wholesale markets. And I think the other thing that Greece has been keen on, which has been hinted at but not yet announced at a European level, is to secure an exemption in the budget rules for member states, which allows them to exclude defence spending from their fiscal calculations. Because Greece has made a big investment in defence for the years ahead, doing that would have a significant impact. Because if you eliminate something like two billion from the deficit for defence spending, you can then kind of release that to spend on other things like, you know, supporting people's energy bills. So there's, there's a lot of plans floating around at the moment. None of them has really been settled on, but there's several options being looked at at European level and at national level. And I think we're expecting announcements in specifically relating to Greece in the next sort of couple of weeks' time. Yuria, thanks for joining us again on The Greek Current. Great speaking with you as always. Okay, always a pleasure. In other news, Greece's Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis accepted an invitation to hold talks with Turkish President Erdogan in Istanbul on Sunday, a rare meeting as their countries remain at odds over a number of issues. Mitsotakis planned to be in Turkey to meet with ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew. Mitsotakis said that it is Greece's long-standing position that the door to dialogue must remain open, just as the door to threats must remain closed. Greece's government spokesman said on Tuesday that Mitsotakis would approach the meeting with a positive attitude. He added that Greece has no delusions, however, saying that the positions expressed on Monday by the spokesperson of Turkey's ruling AK party cannot form a basis for negotiations. 
Finally, Turkey and Israel agreed on Wednesday to rebuild the relationship despite their differences, as Israel's President Isaac Herzog became the first Israeli leader to visit Turkey in 14 years. Appearing before cameras following talks with Herzog, Turkish President Erdogan described the Israeli President's visit as historic and a turning point in Turkish-Israeli relations, and said Turkey was ready to cooperate with Israel in the energy sector. Herzog said his visit constitutes a very important moment in relations, allowing the countries to build bridges essential to us all. Both leaders conceded, however, that differences remain. The steps toward a rapprochement with Israel come as Turkey has been trying to end its international isolation. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.